Thank you for listening to Embassy City Church's audio podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message and His Word today. For more information on our church, please visit us at embassycity.com. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to uh, the book of John, chapter number 10. And uh, we are starting a new series entitled Menace to Society. And... um, there was a movie that came out several years ago. I didn't know that, that in the last month or so, it, was, it, was, it had its 25th anniversary. Um, I'm not saying go, go watch the movie for research. If you, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, just skip it. Just skip the movie, okay? Um, <laughs> if, if, you, if you're from the West Coast and you're born and raised in an inner city, you don't need to watch a movie because you already lived that life. So just forget about it. You ain't missing nothing, okay? Um, uh, uh, we plan our sermon series uh, uh, October of the previous year. So all of our sermon series for 2018 were planned in, uh, uh, in October of 2017. So that we had, we're not trying to tie it into a movie. It just so happened to, I just thought it was a coincidence or confirmation. I don't know how the Lord wants to speak. He can use anything he wants. Um, but, but I want to, uh, talk about in this first message, and if you're taking notes, write this down. This first message is entitled, is Jesus a menace? It's the question that I want to pose and hopefully answer. Is Jesus a menace? Bow your heads, close your eyes. Let's just pray and then see what the Lord would say. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you help us? Would you uh, bother us <laughs> uh, and would you grow us for your glory? Amen. Let me start off with the definition of menace. There's, there's a few things here that caught my attention and I want to give you the noun and the verb. Uh, by definition, menace means something that threatens to cause evil, harm, or injury. A threat. Here's the second definition. A person whose actions, attitudes, or ideas are considered dangerous or harmful. The third one is an extremely annoying person. Anybody old enough to remember Dennis the Menace? Okay, that was, that was my first introduction to the word menace. Verb, used with an object, to utter a direct Uh, To utter or direct a threat against, to threaten, to serve as a probable threat to in peril. Um, I want to work with the second definition under the noun, which is a person whose actions, attitudes, or ideas are considered dangerous or harmful. The thing that was interesting to me as I began to pray into uh, this message and ask the Lord where he wanted me to go with it, when he told me that, that he wanted it in the context of a question, is Jesus a menace? The short answer is yes. The reason why is because when Jesus came to earth, after 4,000 years of prophecy, we've been waiting for him a long time. After 4,000 years of prophecy, all these uh, major and minor prophets of the written Old Testament pointing to Jesus' return, We finally get this beautiful little baby 
wrapped in swaddling clothes, who grows up, starts his earthly ministry. And, and, and think about it. We've been prophesying about a savior. We've been prophesying about uh, uh, salvation coming to, to Israel and subsequently to all of humanity. We've been prophesying about a deliverer who's going to do miraculous things. And the person we get is seemingly a guy who shows up and by doing good stuff, rubs people the wrong way. Isn't it interesting that that Jesus on his way to doing the, uh, the most incredible feat that humanity has ever beheld to die for someone's sins, that on his way to doing this extravagant act of love and kindness, that he would cause so much drama in people's lives along the way. If we're using this particular definition, that, that someone's actions, their attitudes, and their ideas are seen by other people as dangerous or harmful, then, then Jesus is indeed a menace. Because he bothered people just by doing good stuff. The majority of the people that were bothered by Jesus were religious people. (laughs) Go figure. The people that had held sacred these documents and these these letters, these Old Testament writings that, 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 that the Messiah would come when he finally came, he didn't come on their terms. His actions didn't line up with the actions that they wanted him to perform. His attitudes didn't line up with the attitudes that they wanted him to hold. And his ideas certainly didn't line up with the religious scriptures they wanted to keep. Jesus started bothering the religious community. That that entire society was going crazy because he was doing good stuff. He's he's turning water into wine. That just means he's a nice guy. But then he heals someone who is crippled, someone who's blind on the Sabbath day and people are going crazy. You can't do that. No, no, the miracle's fine. It's just the day you did it on, is it? Could you imagine uh, 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 coming to church and seeing somebody stranded on the side of the road uh, outside of their car, but but they're a little bit bloody. And your thought is, I got to get to church by nine. I mean, if it was Monday, I'd be late to work for you. But but the Lord needs me at nine. The religious attitude. Couldn't make room for the relational attitude. Of Jesus. So he became a menace to this society. It stirred up indirectly some things amongst the Roman citizens. They, the religious circle tried to get Rome on their side as it related to Jesus. And so there are three points based on the second definition, the, the actions, attitudes, and ideas that I want to kind of unfold and unpack 
for you today. So point number one, please write this down. Jesus's action. What was Jesus's action that was considered so menacing? It was his sacrifice. His action of being sacrificial became a menace to society. Here's what it says in John chapter number 18, verse, uh, I'm sorry, John chapter number 10, verse number 18. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want and to take it also, and, and, and also to take it up again. For this is what my father has commanded. Now, let me give you the result of that sacrifice. It's, it's uh, uh, victory, and it's found in Revelation chapter number one, verse number 18. Here's what it says. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. When you think about Jesus's most menacing action, it was that he was sacrificial with his own life. And not just sacrificial with his life in dying, but he got up again. See, it's one thing to die. That's heroic. There's a lot of people that have died heroically to preserve someone else's life. But when you get back up again, that's kind of gangster. That's just, that's just adding injury to insult. Right. I'm going to die for you, but I'm going to get back up again. And there's nothing you can do about it. And when I get back up, I'm getting back up with all power in my hands. With the keys to death and the grave. Now, now there there is one society overarching that was is more menaced, more threatened, more harmed by this than any other. And uh, it's Satan's. It's the kingdom of darkness. Here's what it says in John chapter number 12, 31. The time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. Now, when Jesus makes this statement, he's pointing to a time in the future, but but he's also just prophesying to you now uh, the fight's already fixed. The battle's already won. You don't have to worry about it. This 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 sacrificial uh, uh, action that I have done is taking care of of an entire society that is bent on corrupting, defiling, and perverting your picture of God the Father. Point number two, please write this down. It's Jesus' attitude. What's menacing about his action was his sacrifice. What's menacing about his attitude is his love. Jesus' attitude of love is menacing. John 12, 31, here's what it says. I'm sorry, John 13, verses 34 and 35. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love, get this, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now, I could actually stay on this for four weeks because there's so much division just amongst believers that it's nauseating to me. 
the, 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 the little nuances and slivers that we get caught up in and fall out over, get deeply offended by, it's preposterous. We, we don't have anyone else on our team except other believers. Here, here is my identifying factor that I can get along with a other believer. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead? Whatever else you have going on, I can take or not take on the plate. I don't care what your politics are. I don't care what your preferences are. I don't care if you like more liturgical services. I don't care if you like deeper worship, if you like like worship, if you're seeker friendly, if you drop them in the deep end in the pool and if they can't swim, let them drown. I don't care. None of that matters to me. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead? If you believe in that, we should be able to get along. Well, we don't like music in our church. We like all the music in our church. It doesn't matter. Do you believe Jesus Christ is Lord? Well, I believe in the Trinity. I believe in Jesus only. I don't care. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? Because the only people we have on our team is us. And Jesus said, here's how you're going to prove to the world that you're my disciples, that you love one another. Not that you have an 18 hour prayer life, not because you have a, divi- a doctorate of divinity in theology. Here's how you're going to know that we are along and that we are disciples of Jesus. We love one another. It does not mean we have to agree on everything, but it means that we are agreed that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead. That was his attitude. It bothered people because it was love. Here's the result of that attitude, which is love. It's unity. John 17, 23 says this. I am in them. This is his prayer, his last prayer. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. His prayer was, listen, I'm going to love in such an incredible way that it should bring unity to all those that say that I am savior and Lord. According to the last estimates, there are over two billion people that believe in Jesus, not God and some believe in Jesus. Can you imagine if we were all unified? Two billion is a pretty big number. I, I believe we could probably get some stuff done. Like real stuff, not political stuff, like kingdom stuff, (laughs) like 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 influencing people to the point that they're like, something's wrong with you. You can't. I'm nasty to you every day. How do you still love me? Why would you be kind to me and go out of your way for me when I've already told you I don't believe in your God? If two billion people were pressing against humanity like that. It'd be a much different landscape all over the place. His his attitude bothered religious people. His attitude bothered unbelievers to the point that they were like, I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. Right. I'm agnostic. I don't know. But that dude's different. He called me out of a tree. I was just in a tree. I don't know. But that guy's different. Because I'm Samaritan and Jews are not supposed to talk to Samaritans. And at high noon, when I'm going to get some water, this Jewish man decides to talk to me. 
And he knows that I've been married five times and the guy I'm with right now is not my husband. And she goes back and turns into an evangelist into her old community. Jesus hangs out for two extra days to go, it's me. I just want you to know, it's me. And if you believe, yeah, yeah, it could be you too. His attitude's love. Sometimes his own disciples turned into haters. There was a man that was performing miracles and casting out demons who weren't with Jesus. And John, the beloved, is the one that spoke up and said, hey, master, that guy is not with us. And the dude looked back at him. Jesus, I called him a dude. It's okay. (laughs) Jesus looked back at him and said, hey, um, like if he's not against us, he's for us. Like, like, hold on, John, let's slow down. Let's just slow down and tell me what you said again. Well, he's casting out demons in your name, but he's not with us. Slow down, John. Say it again one more time. I just want to hear you. I'm going to wait to see if you hear what you just said. I say he's casting out demons in your name. Oh, because he probably couldn't in your name if he wasn't on our team. Oh, oh, that, 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 that probably wouldn't be effective in, in, in that circle of faith if Jesus wasn't present with them. Just because they don't do it the way we do it or the way you do it doesn't mean that God's not with them helping them do it. It's unity, and here's who's threatened by that unity. Division. Jude says something that is unbelievably profound to me. I want to take my time reading this because I need to unpack some of this. Jude chapter number, there's no chapter in Jude, excuse me. Come on, Jude. You could have at least given us chapter two. It would have made it a little bit better. Page of Jude. Verse 17 says this, but you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. Okay, because the attitude is not love. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's spirit in them. Now, I got to take my time on this. We live in a culture that is so focused on me that theology has become me-centric. If it doesn't make me feel good, if it doesn't make me happy, This this is probably not going to be my community. But the the scoffers are the one that are preoccupied with their own ungodly desires. Here's what Jude says. He says, um, these type of people follow their own natural instincts because they don't have the spirit of God in them. Now, Now, here's where it gets dangerous for the church. People that follow their own ungodly desires 
will call their natural instincts the Holy Spirit. I'm going to just let that marinate for a minute. Your gut feeling is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not your gut. The Holy Spirit's a person. He's a sovereign member of the Trinity who comes to infill us and be the governor of our hearts. And he leads us in the will that lines up with God's will. He won't say anything on his own. He only repeats what he's heard. All this will be broken down for you in uh, John chapter 14, 15, 16. Your natural instinct is not God. Your gut feeling is not God. Your premonition is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the Holy Spirit. And sometimes the Holy Spirit goes against your gut. Sometimes the Holy Spirit goes against your head. Anybody besides me? My head says to do this. The Holy Spirit's like, no, do that. You're like, no, 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 no. I've already worked this out. I don't know if you know this Holy Spirit, but when you created me, I was strategic. You made me strategic. I have a plan. I have a five year life plan. And I'm four years into it and you can't give me you can't throw a monkey wrench into it right now. I mean, I'm I'm already I'm four I'm four years in. I'm almost done. God, you must want me to go this way. And the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, no. That's the plan you wanted. And, and now we but we have to go this way. Well, if you're following ungodly desires, what it does is uh, you can still put your face in the Bible, but you won't get his revelation. You'll get your own private interpretation. And then we'll slap God's name on it and say, this is God. So division starts in the church like that because everyone has a personal word from God. Now, everyone should be hearing from God. Don't get me wrong. Everyone should be hearing from the Holy Spirit about their life. But when it starts causing division, someone's not hearing from the Lord anymore. Your natural instinct is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Holy You should really write that down. If you didn't write that down already, you should really write that down. I think it will save your life. My natural instinct is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say it again. My natural instinct is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. I cannot tell you how many times I've wanted to follow my natural instinct. And the Holy Spirit goes, that's not me. And I'm going, no, but I feel good about it. And if I feel good about it, Lord, it must be you. Because you're into making me feel good. Until you read the Gospels again. And he's like, no, I'm kind of into making you die. Crucify yourself. Jesus's attitude of love is a threat to the spirit of division. Because when love is your attitude, we'll just sit down and try to figure it out. Without compromise. I don't have to compromise my integrity or fidelity to to to, to scripture in order to love you. There's this there's this weird um, uh, uh, theology being preached that that if God is love and, and you love God, then, then you got to love everybody exactly where they're where they are and 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 forget the rest of the Bible. Just love them. 
Don't say anything against anything that might be against the will of God. Just love them. I always have to take my time with this because there is a different message for believers in Jesus than there is for unbelievers in Jesus. Need you to understand that we have one message for unbelievers. That Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead. That, that, that someone died for you and he loved you enough. That's the evangelistic message that we have for unbelievers. We don't have doctrine for unbelievers. We have good news for unbelievers. The good news is that someone died for you so you could be reconciled to your father. The problem is we keep on trying to give doctrine to unbelievers before they've even had a chance to believe. So we've been menacing to societies uh, in other ways, bothering them. And they're like on the inside, whether they say it or not, I didn't even say I love Jesus. So like, why are you coming at me like this? You know, you're going to hell for doing that. Well, I, yeah. Yeah, I am actually. I remember I got saved when I was 20. So I'm 18 years old. I'm at a mall and uh, I'm hanging out with my brothers and my, 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 my parents are, they're the greatest pastors that, that I've ever had. I, they, they pastored the church for 15 years. The church I got saved in was their church. And um, uh, they were always, they, they presented us with the gospel message, but they never forced it on us. They, they never forced us to get saved. My parents were like, we're, we're, we're believers and we're pastors and you better toe the line. And you they were just, hey, you know, if you, if, if you don't give your life to Christ, you're disconnected from a relationship with God. And it's going to lead to an eternal disconnection, which is hell. We knew that. But the Holy Spirit hadn't led us to Jesus yet. So we're, we're okay. we know. So we're at the mall. And they had sent out some, you know, some young little evangelists into the mall to go win their generation for Jesus. Okay. So these three, these three sweet young girls walk up to me. And they say, hi, can, can I talk to you for a minute? I was like, hey, yeah, what's going on? They were like, this is what they started with. If you died right now, do you know where you would go? Like, ask my name. What you doing today? Are you here to buy some jeans? We have made people some bad evangelists. Like, you can't even, can we just take Take four minutes at least. To just, eh, nice shoes. Something. Give me a compliment. Just ease me in. Just, hi. Do you know if you died today where you would go? Who does this? This is bad. People trying to sell timeshares don't move that fast. In Vegas. It's unbelievable. Slow down. Take me slow. Hi. Do you know if you died right now where you would go? Tim's response, because I'm Tim. Straight to hell. It's exactly what I said. It's exactly what I said. Since you're going to be blunt, I'm going to be blunt. Because I'm here to try to get some girls. I'm not even here for jeans, okay? I'm 18 at the mall. What else am I here for? I don't have no money. My parents dropped me off. They got to pick me up at three. I got to move fast. Okay? Okay? Do you know where you would go if you died right now? I'd go straight to hell. This was not in the manual that they were prepped for. 
They were like, they looked at each other. I, mm -mm. <laughs> mm. And it was all eye contact. No one uttered something. They were just all like, Did, I didn't, we weren't prepared for this. No. And there was a moment of awkward silence. And then the same girl to ask the question said, okay, well, thank you. And she let me go to hell. The message to unbelievers is completely different than the message to believers. The message to unbelievers is good news. The, 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 message, to, the, the message to unbelievers is there, there's life for you. Here's the message to believers. There's death for you. You want to get closer to Jesus? Just die. That attitude that doesn't line up with Jesus, die to that. That, 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 that habit that doesn't line up with the will of Christ, die to that. It's a lot of death when you get on the other side. It's like happy, romantic for like the first three months. I met Jesus. There was a check in the mail. I prayed and three minutes later he answered. As a relationship evolves, you're like, hello? Hello, Jesus? Hello? I called him, but I'm, uh, I left you five voicemails, sir. 33 text messages, because that's how long you lived on earth. You haven't called me back. Anybody but say you call your prayer partner? Did you hear from him? Because I didn't. I touched and agreed. Nobody. Mm -mm. The, the, the real kingdom life is just a lot of dying. A real, the life of a disciple is just real. Uh, it's a constant wash, rinse, repeat of dying to myself. Thought comes up. That's not him. I can't do that. Thought comes up. That's not him. I can't do that. Get ready to say something. That's not him. I can't say that. Get ready to go somewhere. That's not him. I can't go there. It's, it's, it's quite mundane. The exciting life of living for Jesus is found in the discipline and choosing to die with Jesus. If you die with him, you live. If you try to live, you'll die. That's what he said. That's the gospel we preach. And that's how saints grow. So his attitude was love. The result of that love was unity. And the spirit of division can't stand people that are unified behind Jesus. From that day to this day, no one can handle a unified body and a unified community that's gathered around the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Here's point number three. Point number three is Jesus's idea. Remember, we talked about these menacing uh, attributes have to do with the actions, the attitudes and the ideas that an individual carries that are considered dangerous or harmful to those in society. Here's what it says uh, about his idea. His idea is obedience. That's Jesus' idea. Jesus' idea, his main idea, if you search it out, is obedience. Philippians 2.8 says this. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Here's the result of that idea, which was obedience. 
The result is salvation. There's something about this salvation that we carry. Here's what it says in Acts chapter number four, verses 10 through 12. Let me give you a little bit of background on this. Uh, In Acts chapter number three, Peter and John go into uh, the gate called Beautiful uh, to go into the temple to pray. While they're going into that temple, there was a lame man who's begging for um, some assistance. Peter doesn't have any money. So he makes that famous statement, silver and gold I don't have, but that that I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The guy jumps up, starts leaping through the temple. Guess who gets mad? Religious people. You're interrupting our service. I'm trying to pray. You're jumping. I'm distracted from Jesus now because you're jumping. You're waving your hand. Your hands are bothering me. I can't focus on Jesus because your hands are raised. What do you expect somebody to do that's been laying down all his life? To just get up and be like, well, thanks. <laughs> I'll just take my mat and roll that up and uh, appreciate you. I can go get a job now. <laughs> if you've been laying down crippled and you get healed, I'm going to be a little happy. Yeah. I'm not going to wait until I go home to throw a party. It happened in front of the church. I want to celebrate this with church people, except they don't want to celebrate with me. We don't care your distraction. Stop jumping. I'm not talking about somebody that's screaming to the top of their lungs, rolling in the floor. That person needs help. I'm talking just about I'm exuberant because Jesus did something amazing that I could not do for myself. And he didn't. And Jesus didn't even do it personally. He sent one of his guys. One of these random people. And they were doing the same thing Jesus did. That started a trend a little bit. Random, ordinary people started doing the same stuff Jesus did. Jesus set it up that way. He told him before he left, hey, the works you see me doing, greater work shall you do. I'm leaving. I'm going to leave you in charge to do some of this stuff. So Peter and John wind up being brought before Annas and Caiaphas, which are the two priests that put the hit on Jesus. And here's... They're, they're trying to, uh, you know, uh, confront them and ask them, you know, what were you doing out there? And, and, and Peter, who, remember, was a coward and, and hid and did all that kind of stuff. He's bold right now. This is what he says. Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Now, when you call a man's name and his address, you mean it. The man you crucified, that's bold right there, to confront the people that actually put the hit on Jesus. The man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus' obedience led to salvation. But it led to salvation in a very unique way, which leads us to who's threatened by this obedience and this salvation. And it's all of humanity. All of humanity is threatened by this. I'm going to tell you why. Here's what it says in 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 7. 
There is one God. Everybody say one God. And one mediator. Everybody say one mediator. There is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. Hear me. There is one God and there's one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. Now, if you say there is a God, there's a mediator and there's humanity. And then you say there's only one person that can bridge the gap between God and humanity. Then, then, then you're pointing to only one person. OK. There is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. And I have been chosen as a preacher and apostle to teach the Gentiles this message about faith and truth. I am not exaggerating. I love that Paul says that. I am not exaggerating. I'm just telling the truth. Now, why would Jesus's obedience and subsequent salvation be a menace to society? Because it means he's the only way. He is the only way to have a relationship with God. This is a threat to all humanity because we like our options. There are, there's a reason why there are more than a million apps on Apple alone, because we like options. There's not one app for calculators. There's thousands of apps for calculators. If it was just for calculation, pick one. Throw the rest away. Well, I like mine because it has a pink highlight around the edge. Well, I have an app that I use for ordering food. I don't use that app. I like this one better. We, we love our options. The reason why Jesus is a threat to all humanity the reason why he's a menace to all humanity? Because there's no other option. You must come through him. And if you don't want to come through him, there is no other way. That bothers people. Because I, I, I would love to have it my way. I want my burger with the fries on the inside. I want my God and my own personal lifestyle. I want my, no, I want to customize my Jesus. I want to custom, I need to tinker with this a little bit. Because I, you know, he's the one you're talking about. He asked for too much. He's asking for all of me. I need to keep some of me because I need to have my best life now. I need to make sure I have, I, I need to make sure I can get Jesus and still do a little bit of me. Because I have to have some of me, right? Self-care, I need to do that for me. There's no other option. That's the only book. You can get a different translation. But if it's tight, it's going to still be right. There's, there's no other option. And, and, and this is a threat to humanity. And if you're going to follow him, then then you're probably going to be a menace, too. If Jesus's actions, attitude and ideas 
were a menace. And we follow him. And scripture says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. That means that we're going to have the same actions, attitude, and ideas that Jesus has. Which means if, if people didn't like Jesus, then probably they're not going to like you either. If this is the way you're going to choose to live your life. So get used to that. And then next week, I'll tell you some more. Okay, so bow your heads. Close your eyes. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you through this message? I hope it was a menacing message to you. I hope it confirmed for some people in this room. And I hope it challenged some people in this room. God wants to do something in your life that is so profound, so amazing, so strong that it leaves a lasting residue wherever you go. But I'm telling you, you're not going to be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ and everybody like you. Even when you do nice stuff, someone's going to be bothered. You can go buy your enemy back-to-school clothes and they'll be mad that you bought back-to-school clothes for their kids. I hate you for doing it, but I'm keeping the jeans. Our actions as believers, our attitudes as believers, our ideas as believers, they're a menace to society. Someone's bound to be offended, threatened, feel harmed. Just based on what we believe. Jesus didn't mind that at all, and we shouldn't either. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more about Embassy City Church, please visit us at embassycity.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Embassy Irving.